0: Um, hey, I want to encourage you. I've put two little flyers on your sheet, two little flyers on your sheet. This week, where, where's Ethan Landis? He here? Oh, hi, Ethan. There's Ethan. So I know I told you I wasn't going to say your name, and then I just decided to say your name. So Ethan and I were hanging out this week. Ethan and I went and got milkshakes together, which my two favorite things are Ethan and milkshakes. And so we went and we had milkshakes. It was fun. But here's one of the things that Ethan and I were kind of talking about. It's kind of the setup for our night tonight. I asked Ethan, I asked Ethan a question. I said, hey, where do you feel like you're at in your relationship with Christ right now? And he said, I feel like, like right now, like we're friends, but we don't talk as much. And I wonder if some of you would also describe yourself that way. I'd imagine there's actually the majority of us in this room, we would say, yeah, yeah, like I, I feel like I know God, I, but man, we, we're just, like we're not talking as much as we could. And then Ethan and I started brainstorming together, like, well, what ways could we help you guys connect more with Jesus? And Ethan came up with a plan. He said, you know what? In school, it's like if my teacher wants me to read pages 13 to 27, they tell me to read that. They don't just say, go read about the civil war. They say, I want you to read pages 13 to 27. And so what we're going to be doing all summer is kind of an experiment just to see how it goes, is each week we are going to give you a little sheet like this that gives you a reading plan beginning tomorrow all the way till next Wednesday. And it's not really connected totally with the sermon. It's just for on your own. And what I want to encourage you to do is as you're reading a chapter, it's just one chapter each day, I want to encourage you to do soap. And as you look on the back, you're going to find out a little bit of what soap is. Essentially, it's a four-step process to studying the scriptures. That as you're reading it, first, you're trying to highlight and find what is that scripture that most stands out to you. Then you're looking a little deeper and you're observing, you're making some conclusions. You say, "Amen." I noticed that whoever the author is, is saying this word a few times, or this big idea is being communicated or this phrase really comes up a lot or this context is going on so you're making some observations then I want you to wrestle with how are you gonna apply it to your life how are you going to take what God's teaching you and actually apply it? And then I want you to pray. So I'm going to challenge you beginning now as summer is about to begin that every single week when you come to Wednesday night HSM to pick up one of these cards and to follow this reading plan. We're going to be doing this for you guys and we're super stoked about it. Hey, go ahead and get out your sermon notes. Go ahead and get out your sermon notes. You can flip to uh, this sermon note side. And if you're brand new and you're kind of like, what's going on? We've got some pens for you. I want to encourage you to take notes because in a few minutes, we're going to get you guys into your small groups where you're going to talk about this really, big idea of prayer and here's kind of the big idea if you if you zone out or if you're looking for me what was that main idea to kind of launch into small groups with the big idea is this praying like jesus instills in us a heart like jesus praying like jesus instills in us a heart like jesus and maybe some of you have asked the question well how do we pray What does it mean to pray? Maybe some of you, in fact, I know that there's there's many of you who you're kind of new to this following Jesus thing. And and we talk about, hey, are you reading your Bible and are you praying and you're going, man, I get reading the Bible, but what does praying to God look like? Well, it's so cool. And and maybe some of you have thought, man, Jesus is just kind of inaccessible to me. Like he was always for the religious people. He actually wasn't. That Jesus is favorite kind of people to connect with were the kind of people who didn't fit into the sort of traditional religious model. And so he loved to talk to them about what it meant to do simple things like pray. And so maybe some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while and you've been praying for a while. My hope is that this instruction from Jesus on what it means to pray would actually challenge your prayer life, would, would enliven your prayer life, would maybe take your prayer life to the next level. Then maybe as you'll see, the way you've been praying has been kind of surface level and Jesus wants to take you a little deeper. Or maybe you just don't know how to pray or you're afraid to pray because you don't want to mess it up and you're not sure what to do. My hope is that this step-by-step guide that Jesus is going to give us would inspire you to, to start praying and to start speaking to him in the way that he teaches us to speak to him. Because when we pray like Jesus, it instills in us A heart like Jesus. When we pray the way he teaches us to pray, we start to think and act and do like he acts, thinks, and does. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment tonight to just think about how huge and beautiful and awesome and loving and powerful you are. And as we read your word, I pray that you would comfort us, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that because we've gathered together, we would be different people, that we would have more of your heart within us and we would live more the life that you've called us to live, and that we would in confidence speak to you and talk with you and engage with you in a way that truly changes us and works in us. God, I want to thank you for our new freshmen that are here with us tonight. I want to thank you for all the new students that are here with us tonight. I pray that more than anything, Holy Spirit, they would know that they are loved and that you care for them, that you know every one of their stories, and that you have a plan and a future for them. So God, we love you. Open our eyes to see who you are and what it means to pray like you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, I wanna start out with a quote. I wanna start with a quote from this guy named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century Baptist English preacher. And this is what he says about prayer. This is how he defines prayer. If you're into the note-taking, good luck. This is what he says. I know of no better thermometer I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. I am not speaking about the quantity of it, for there are many, for there are some who for a pretense make long prayers. No, I am speaking about the reality of it, the intensity of it. Man, this is honestly convicting for me. I want to ask you how real Is your prayer life how intense is your prayer life do you do you kind of lay down at night and you're like heavenly and you're just out you know Is, is it real quick before a test right is it is it you're in a moment of crisis and you know that if your parents find out what you did man you're done with and you're going jesus if you're taking prayer requests like i'd love you to come back right now i mean is that is that the prayer life that you have what does it look like to have a kind of prayer life that is so real that that changes you that rocks your world Because it's gonna shape you and it's gonna instill in you Jesus' heart. And so what Jesus did is he gathered his disciples together and he taught them this revolutionary way to pray, which is why we're in this series called The Revolutionary Way, where Jesus is turning everything upside down. And a lot of people in that day and age were thinking, man, prayer was about somehow getting God to do what you wanted him to do. And he's going, no, no, I gotta Flip that! I got. We're, we're starting a revolution here, where we do things differently, including prayer. And so let's jump into Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus kind of sets the stage and he says, if you want to pray with no power, like if you want your prayer life to be weak, lame, insignificant, make sure you do these things. This is what he says. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Find me there. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. First thing Jesus says is if you want to have no power in your prayer life, make sure it's all about how many people see you. In fact, there was this tradition during their afternoon prayer. Or for some of them, some of the the hypocrites, some of the religious leaders who were so consumed by what people thought about them that they would often try to position themselves around the afternoon prayer in really crowded public settings so that as soon as it was time to pray, there were many people around them and they would start to pray loudly and they would start to make this big show and their hope was that everyone would look at them and think they were so religious, think they were so spiritual. And you see, Jesus, as he's teaching about this revolutionary way to live in his kingdom, he's saying, it's not about what people think about. It's not about being the most spiritual person in the room. It's not about you having this like really awesome spiritual reputation, that there's no power in that kind of prayer life. And guys, I I struggle with this as a pastor sometimes. If I'm going to be honest with you guys, I find myself praying a lot more around you guys and for you guys than I do on my own. And this is a struggle for me. This is something I deal with. Because when you do start praying in front of people, people do think you're more spiritual, right? But we gotta check our hearts and make sure that's not the motivation. So Jesus says, don't don't do it like that. Then he continues, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. This is the second thing Jesus says to avoid is stop thinking that, that God will hear your prayers if you use a vocabulary that you would never use in any other setting. I mean, don't go King James with your prayer life, right? Like, if you're just talking with your friends and hanging out, and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, what's up, man, that's cool, all right, let's do that. Dear art thou Godfather, right? He's like, what are you doing? You, you, you think that God is going to be impressed with you because you're using all these big words? He invented all the big words. There's no awesome, fancy vocabulary word you could use it. He's going to go, oh, oh, wow, that, that didn't show up on my SAT. That's pretty good, you know? He's not impressed like that. He says you don't need to keep babbling on and on, thinking that you know if you use all the fancy lingo and if you go on for on and on, that at that moment, God is gonna all of a sudden show you favor. And then the last one he says is this. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse nine, this then is how you should pray. So Jesus is gonna give us five steps Five steps for what a prayer looks like. And I don't think Jesus' heart is that we would memorize this prayer. The goal is not that we would just say this prayer every night and think, okay, that's what makes him happy. No, no, Jesus is giving us a template. He's giving us a picture into his heart for the motivation of of the steps and how we might pray and how our hearts might think about God. And so Jesus recognizes that oftentimes when we go to pray, who's the first person we think of? Right, It's it's, it's natural. It's human. It's totally natural that the very first person that I'm thinking of as soon as I begin to pray is me. And what do I need? And Jesus is saying, I think what he's trying to say to us is, if that's your view, that that if you start with you, the size of your God will be about this big. You've got to go bigger. You've got to start in a totally different place. And so step one, step one is this recognize who you are talking to. So when you begin to pray, start by recognizing who you are talking to. Verse nine, he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture because here Jesus says, God wants you to understand him as your father. immediately when I say that there's some of you in this room who you go but my dad's not around I've got the worst dad my dad has said things to me that I would never repeat to anyone else that there have been other father figures in my life and I want nothing to do with those people and God isn't afraid to still use the word father because he wants to redeem that image for you He doesn't want you to just settle thinking that father is a bad word. He wants to redeem it and reclaim it and say, I know that you had a bad father. I know you maybe had an imperfect father. But me is your heavenly father, I love you and I adore you and I care for you and I want the best for you. I think about Charlie, I was having a conversation with someone today that my disposition towards all my kids, Charlie and Brittany, and Leah, my, my disposition towards them is I am crazy in love with them, that I want their best, I so care about them, I think about them all the time. I love when Charlie will snuggle up in bed with us and, and he's just laying there and I get to hold him tight and he's trying to squirm away and I'm like, no, I care about you, kid, and I'm just like holding on for dear life, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that when he picks his nose and eat it, I'm going to be okay with that. Like at some level, I got to say, Charlie, I know all y'all are gro- That's like grosser than the McDonald's or the, the mac and veggie thing, right? Uh, I, I got to call Charlie on this stuff. There, there's times where Charlie or Brinley will bite a sibling and we got to talk about it. And I'll even get upset a little bit and say, you guys, we can't do that. It's okay. You need to go on timeout. I discipline them. But the umbrella that would describe my feelings towards my kids is absolute love and adoration. And that's how your heavenly father feels towards you. God is going to convict you. God is gonna speak to you and say, hey, that thing, that relationship, that issue, that struggle, I'm not okay with that. I wanna change that, but it's because I love you. It's not because I wanna ruin you. That drug that you're doing, that alcohol that you're consuming, I want you to give it up completely, not because I wanna rob you, but because I wanna give you something. I don't know what your thing is, but your heavenly father can be trusted because he loves you and because he's holy. There's countless names to describe God in the scriptures. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, it shows up a lot in Isaiah. You'll see these two words together describe God, Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty. The word Lord in Hebrew is Yahweh. The word Almighty in Hebrew is Savah. And they'll put these two words together because Lord means Yahweh, relational God, who loves you, who cares about you, who's invested in your life. And then Almighty, Savah, means he's powerful, means he's ready for battle. You see, God somehow is able to carry the tension between being this all-loving, caring, compassionate, relational God, and at the same time, ready to kick butt, ready to tear down the walls, ready to do something unbelievable in your life, ready to challenge you and convict you. And because he is both of those things at once, You can trust him because he's holy. He's set apart, he's healthy. Some of you have relationships with people that are older than you, maybe a mentor, maybe a a parent or somebody who who you have a little distrust with them because you feel like, man, are they really making the best decision for me? I, I feel like they're maybe acting a little unhealthy. You can trust God because he's healthy, because he's holy. And so when he convicts you or challenges you on something, it comes from a heart that is loving and relational and at the same time all powerful and wants your best and will move mountains to shake up your world because he's got a plan and a future for you. Step number two is this. So as you're praying, you begin by just pausing. I heard a preacher once say that what he started to do, and I've tried to do this too, is instead of just even speaking, he literally will take like 30 seconds and just think about how the scriptures describe God as the one who knit us together, the one who's, who spanned out the universe, who holds the nations like a drop in a bucket in his hands. And so he'll just stop, and before he prays, he'll just think on that. So I wanna challenge you tonight when you pray before you go to bed, to to stop speaking for 30 seconds and just think about who God is and then start by saying, God, you are my father. You are amazing. You love me. And it just, as many words come to mind that you've read from scripture and that you know from your experience, call those out and just say, God, I can't believe you. You're amazing. This is absolutely incredible that you, this perfect holy father, wants to be in a relationship with me. And what does this do? It it can immediately take what you're dealing with and shrink it down and take the size of your God and blow it up. And if you start the other way, if you start with you, then it inflates you and it decreases your God. And then step two, Jesus says, seek his will, not yours. Seek his will, not yours. Jesus says it this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question that I want you to wrestle with, that I want you to be thinking about, that you got to go into every situation, every decision with is this. Whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom are you living for? Is your life about you? Is it about you being the star of the show? Is it about your fame, about your victory? Is it about your reputation? Is it it about your name going far and wide? Or is it about his kingdom? Is it about his will? Because what Jesus is saying is God has these plans and he wants to somehow crash heaven into earth. He's not looking to take Christians out of here. He longs for us to be the kinds of people who say, man, I wanna see more of your will here on earth and you can use me, God, in whatever way possible. This means as you're walking to school these last few days, it's not about getting all those hot girls or hot guys to sign your yearbooks, right? It's not about collecting as much Snapchats as you can. It's not about all that crap. What it is about is you waking up and saying, your will in heaven, on earth, through my life. Your will in heaven, on earth, through my life. I mean, that's living. Anything else, anything else is settling. So Jesus says, your will come into earth, your kingdom, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Step number three, be honest about your needs. Be honest about your needs. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. He's recalling back in the book of Exodus when the people of God were wandering and they were wondering, how is he gonna provide for us? And God would drop manna, but he didn't drop enough manna for a whole week. He dropped enough manna, which was bread for one day. And so each day, the Israelites had to wake up and say, Lord, would you give us today our daily bread? Would you give us today what we need? You know what we need. And so my question to you is, what do you actually need? This is so beautiful that we're, we're invited to go to Jesus and say, to go to God and say, God, this is what I need. But it happens after you first acknowledge who he is and you recognize that his goal is not your happiness. His goal is his way lived through you. His goal is his will stepping out and living out in your life. And then you say, but God, you know my heart. And you know right now that when I walk to school, I feel alone. And you know that I'm struggling with this eating disorder. And you know that those people in that class, that they're gonna say something to me and help me to reach out to somebody for help, help me to stay away from the haters. You're going, God, man, I, you're, you're so amazing and your will honor through me, but my parents are getting a divorce and I'm struggling with it right now. See, you can go to Jesus with all of that after, after, after you've recognized the hugeness of him because doesn't it make sense that once, once, you, once you remind yourself, it's not that you're making God bigger, he's huge. It's you're reminding yourself of his bigness. That then when you share your needs, they're in the proper perspective. They're in the proper proportion. Step number four, forgiveness. Forgive them because God has forgiven you. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus says, "Ah, when you're praying, acknowledge him. Seek his will, not your will. Be honest about your needs and then think about the people who have hurt you during the day. And you know why this is so important? Because if you hold on to bitterness, if you hold on to resentment, if you hold on to unforgiveness, do you know who it's gonna hurt? It's not gonna hurt them, it's gonna hurt you. And Jesus knows that if any of his people live with this sense of unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness, that it is only gonna get in the way of them living the life that he wants them to live. And so he says... You've got to be a people who get really, really good at forgiveness. Whenever I do um, weddings for people, I always say this line, that, that if you are going to be married for a while, you've got to become a master in forgiveness. That you've got to become somebody who gets really good at forgiveness because in the context of a marriage, there can be a lot of hurt. There could be a lot of sharing things. You go, oh man, I, I I shouldn't have said that. And it's not that you say, man, I'm sorry you felt that way. No, 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 you say, hey, I own that. Man, what I said to you was wrong. And I admit that. And so we need to be people who we go and we extend forgiveness to others and we ask for forgiveness. The followers of Jesus, we should be the very best at this. And you know why? Because he has forgiven us of everything. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you right now have an absolutely clean slate. That standing before a holy God, he looks at you. And he says, because of what Jesus did on a cross on your behalf, you're clean. You're blameless, as Paul says. That we're all good Uh, We're going to spend eternity together. If we think on that, if we realize that, then that word that that friend said to us, that thing that happened in that former relationship, that past, whatever it may be, we have got to become people who are good at forgiveness. I love sharing this quote. It's from John Eldridge. He says this, now you must understand forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling, but an act of the will. As author Neil Anderson has written, don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving because you will never get there. Feelings take time to heal after the choice to forgive is made. As someone has said, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free than discovering the prisoner was you. I think there's a lot of us in this room who are holding on to bitterness and who are holding on to unforgiveness. And the person that's hurting the most is you. And it's getting in the way of something God wants to do in your life. And so in light of the fact that no one in this room earned God's love, not one of us matched up, not one of us is holy enough, not one of us is good enough, not one of us is religious enough. Because he has freely forgiven us, we have got to be good and get used to offering forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. And then the last step, give your struggles to the God who can overcome. Give your struggles over to the God who can overcome and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is saying, as you're praying, as you're wrapping it up, say, God, I recognize that on my own tomorrow, I can't do it. On my own tomorrow, I will deviate from the path. I will detour from the way that you have for me. Do not lead me into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. There are some of us in this room who we need that deliverance. And you need to know that God is powerful enough to deliver you. But if you begin the prayers all about yourself, you forget that this huge, huge God has an awesome plan and is doing something in your life. So as you jump into your small groups, here's what I want you to Discuss. I want you to discuss this step by step prayer. Is this something you're living out? Is this something you're wrestling with? And what would it look like to start to implement this kind of prayer in your life? Let me pray.